Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Brazil, Germany, and a see you in hell that's from the United States and Germany. Starting out with some news that you might have heard about if you listened to Tuesday's episode featuring the editor-in-chief of Left Coast Right Watch. The America Fest event is being held this weekend. This is the sort of premier event of Turning Point USA, which is a right-wing organization that attempts to influence young people to become more right-wing. It is run by some of the more vitriolic personages in the right-wing in the United States. It's being held this weekend in Arizona, I believe, and I will cover it further as it, you know, after it actually happens. So I'll be talking about it next week. A nice Xmas present, I guess, for those of you who celebrate. Moving on to Brazil. In Brazil, there were major protests this week in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil. These protests occurred as Lula, the president-elect of Brazil, and his team did some of the final formal official prep for the transition from the Bolsonaro presidency to Lula's coming presidency. This transition is a little bit more formal in Brazil than it is in the United States, partly because, you know, they have like an electoral structure that they designed in the 1980s and 1990s, as opposed to ours, which we designed, you know, in the 18th century. Bolsonaro's supporters were extremely upset at these moves because they indicate essentially the finality of Lula succeeding Bolsonaro in the presidency. Bolsonaro supporters in Brasilia tried to invade the federal police headquarters in that city, which is the headquarters for the police of the entirety of Brazil. They failed. They set fire to cars. They tried to flip a bus off of a bridge. That bus had people in it. There were no deaths. There were no fatalities. Uh, there were no major injuries, at least that I've heard of. Please correct me if I'm wrong. In response, the police, that is the federal police of Brazil, fired on these Bolsonaro supporters using rubber bullets. This is just further indication that the Bolsonaro supporters are on the outside of at least the official tippy-top of the Brazilian military police complex. It means that those people are on the side of Lula and of the continuance of democratic governance in Brazil. Further evidence of this is that Brazilian news outlets are now reporting that the military is already waiting for Lula's orders regarding the ending of these kinds of protests and investigation of them. It means that they are already listening to Lula instead of Bolsonaro, who, again, is still the president and will remain the president until January 1st, at least on paper. But apparently, the Brazilian military is already prepared to be listening to Lula instead of Bolsonaro, which means that it's over. Bolsonaro does not have the kind of support that he needs if he wants to actually stop Lula from becoming president, and it's pretty clear that he knows this. That's why he's been so quiet. Exactly what he'll do when he finally does leave the presidency, you know, if he goes out quietly or if he goes out kicking and screaming, what his supporters will do, we're going to have to see. Moving on to Germany, Germany is planning to cut down on the gun trade and several other legal loopholes after a coup that they prevented. So, you know, uh, that's uh, a week after Germany prevents a coup from even being attempted. They're already saying like, hey, we're going to change all the laws and the rules in order to make this a lot harder and a lot less likely. We are coming up on two years after the United States' coup attempt on January 6th of 2021, and uh, so far we have not done that much. 
The German parliament has said that they're going to try to reduce the availability of guns, as they rightly think that these were pretty easy to get for the coup plotters. AFD, the extreme right-wing party in Germany, is trying to avoid commentary on the fact that an affiliate of theirs was involved in this coup attempt. The German parliament is also trying to make it easier to deal with prosecuting and getting rid of civil servants who are involved in these kinds of things, you know, in like plots against the government. Because, you know, Germany actually has extremely robust protections for people who work for the government. It's extremely hard to fire them. And so they're, they're, they're running up against that as a major social priority, which is a laudable social priority, and trying to make sure that like, you know, fascists and people who want to end the democratic government are now protected by those laws. There have been further attacks on major infrastructure in the United States. Specifically, we're talking about power and electrical grid energy infrastructure. A Duke Energy hydroelectric station in South Carolina was attacked with gunfire, as well as at least six facilities across the states of Oregon and Washington. All of these were attacked apparently with people with firearms, with long guns, with rifles, attempting to disrupt access to electrical power for the people who lived in those regions. So far, there are just investigations about these. It's extremely hard to find the people who did these things. You know, these things maybe have cameras, but if people are shooting at them from very far away and while wearing masks and then they just drive away in their cars, it's extremely hard to find them. Remember that the right wing in the United States has been fantasizing about and planning these kinds of attacks for decades. The planning and, you know, idealization of these kinds of attacks goes all the way back to the neo-Nazi times of the 1970s and 1980s. The other issue is that the information on the electrical grid, not just in the United States, but in many countries, is, is just free and available. It's freely available information, making these kinds of attacks relatively easy to carry out. This is something that you will be hearing more about. More of these attacks are almost certain to be happening in the United States. I highly recommend that you prepare yourself for them. Prepare yourself to experience these kinds of disruptions. Donald Trump, former president, has accused Jewish leaders in the United States of quote-unquote disloyalty towards him. This is on his posts on Truth Social, his proprietary extreme right-wing version of Twitter, which again is why Donald Trump is not on Twitter yet. Donald Trump is arguing that he shouldn't turn away from Ye, that is the artist formerly known as Kanye West, because Kanye West has been disloyal, because in fact, Kanye West has been loyal, right? That's Trump's claim, as opposed to the Jewish leaders that Ye has turned against who have been disloyal to Trump, right? This is Trump framing U.S. politics in a particularly and extremely obviously anti-Semitic way, Framing Jewish politics as a question of loyalty to a national leader is precisely the Nazi playbook. That's a straight-up ye oldy, and I don't mean ye oldy, I mean ye oldy Nazi propaganda method, saying that Jewish leaders are insufficiently loyal and that is why they need to be targeted for attacks or for government retaliation. New reports out of the United States government are showing that over 300 people who currently or used to work for the Department of Homeland Security or other branches of the United States government were on internal Oath Keepers rosters. Remember, the Oath Keepers are one of the largest fascist organizations in the United States currently operative today. They were extremely involved in the attempted coup on January 6th, 2021. Some of their leaders have just been convicted of extremely big treasonous acts against the United States government. Some of the people who were found to be on this internal Oath Keepers rosters include a Secret Service agent who worked for two U.S. presidents, 
someone who is currently on the border patrol of one of the southern states in the United States, and also somebody who currently works at the central office that is the headquarters of the TSA. These are people who are close to involved in the United States security apparatus, and that was always the Oath Keeper's purview, as opposed to the Proud Boys, which organized, you know, young people as a street thug gang, as a, as a fascist fight club, essentially. The Oath Keeper's claim was that they were going to try to organize people who already worked for the state security apparatus, and it seems that that is precisely what they did. As these investigations continue to pan out, we'll learn more about how these people were involved in the Oath Keepers as well as the United States security apparatus. A former Twitter security official has been forced to flee his home due to threats that he has received from supporters of Elon Musk. This is the former head of Trust and Safety, which is the part of Twitter or pretty much any other social media organization like Facebook or Instagram or whatever. The Trust and Safety people are the part that stops hate speech, you know, that responds to blocking accusations, that eliminates anti-Semitic or fascist accounts, that kind of thing. Uh, so this guy was the former head of Trust and Safety at Twitter, and he's been forced to flee from his home due to escalating threats against him personally, like his personal safety, partly caused by Elon Musk's rebrand as a quasi-fascist and also like free speech absolutist, right? You know, his claim is that Roth, this former head of Trust and Safety at Twitter, was a, you know, demagogue who was working for, I guess, the deep state or whoever it is that Elon Musk says is the enemy. That's, that's, that's never been entirely clear to me who he considers to be the enemy here. Roth has already resigned. He resigned when Elon Musk took over the company and gutted the trust and safety part of Twitter. But Musk's recent release of the so-called Twitter files, which are documents of, you know, Roth and his colleagues doing their jobs, like trying to prevent violence and hate speech on Twitter and trying to prevent it from being used as a platform for the radicalization of people who are opposed to democracy or who think that vaccines are bad, right? You know, these are these people doing their job. Uh, Musk's release of the Twitter files has meant that Roth and his colleagues have faced increased scrutiny and attention from the extreme right, and that has meant that they have faced increasing danger. Finally, the governor of Arizona has been forced to halt construction of his illegal border wall. Now, I haven't talked about this so far, but the governor of Arizona has been building an illegal shipping container border wall designed to plug up some of the gaps in the federal border wall that had previously been constructed by previous presidential administrations, including the administration of Donald Trump. This shipping container wall is comprised of two shipping containers stacked on top of each other, but he constructed it, uh, that is, he ordered the, you know, government of Arizona to construct it without the approval from federal authorities. We're talking about tribal authorities, we're talking about the Bureau of Land Management, we're talking about the EPA. That means that it is illegal, it's not allowed construction. Locals, environmentalists, Native American rights groups have responded, and they have been engaging in protests, and they have forced the governor to stop his construction. This is me ending on a good note as a reminder that uh, direct action gets the goods. Finally, going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, I'm talking about Fritz Julius Kuhn, a German-American Nazi and the leader of the German-American Bund. Kuhn was born in 1896 in Germany, specifically in Munich, that is Bavaria, and he was a very good student and soldier. 
He served in World War I as an infantry lieutenant. He received the Iron Cross, which is one of the higher military honors that the German military gives to its soldiers. He then studied engineering, specifically chemical engineering, and moved to the United States. He went to Detroit to work for the Ford Motor Company, and there he became a naturalized citizen of the United States in the 1930s. However, this was coinciding with the takeover of Germany by the Nazi party, and in 1936, Kuhn moves to Buffalo, New York, to lead the German-American Bund, a pro-Nazi organization. Uh, Bund means band, it means, it means group. Uh, so these were people who were in support of the Nazi government in Germany. Clearly, the goal of the German-American Bund was to be a fifth column for the Nazis. That is, a clandestine group of supporters who paved the way for some sort of influence or takeover of the United States government by the German Nazi party. Kuhn claimed that that wasn't the case, and he, you know, he said that they never got any German money, he said that they never got any, like, propaganda notes or orders from the Germans, but that is pretty clearly false. Really transparently, Kuhn was trying to be the stand-in for the Nazi party in the United States, to the extent that he organized a trip to Germany for the Berlin Olympics for the people who worked in the German-American Bund. He met Adolf Hitler, although apparently that meeting didn't go particularly well. When he returned to the United States, he spent a lot of his time holding big rallies and engaging in real politics, you know, trying to convince people to become fascists. He was trying to organize a Nazi sympathy organization for ethnic Germans and other ethnic whites, and it did kind of work. He held increasingly big rallies throughout the buildup of the United States' entrance into World War II, including his magnum opus, an enormous rally in 1939 in Madison Square Garden. It's possible that you've seen images of this rally. Sometimes it appears in like alternate history media about, you know, what if Nazis took over the United States or something. This rally featured U.S. flags, swastikas, and also an enormous portrait of George Washington, whom Kuhn claimed was, quote-unquote, the first fascist. Kuhn was eventually convicted of embezzlement by the city government of New York under Mayor LaGuardia. This happened in the early 1940s. He was sentenced to two to five years in Sing Sing, that is the maximum security prison in New York State. He served that time, during which his citizenship was revoked, and by that point, the United States was in World War II. When he was released for this criminal offense in 1943 as a German citizen, he was re-imprisoned as an enemy agent of the United States for his leadership of a pro-Nazi organization. He was then sent to a prison camp in Texas, and after the war in 1945, he was deported back to Germany. There, he was free for two years and worked as a chemical engineer until he was again tried under denazification laws. He was imprisoned again for his participation in the organization of Nazi activity in 1947. He was sentenced to 10 years hard labor, but was released actually just a little bit before his death this week in history, December the 14th, 1951. So, Fritz Julius Kuhn, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on, and I mean that sincerely. Tell friends, family, and comrades about the podcast. If you really enjoyed the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right. 
and fascism15. And again, that's 15 spelled out. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week.